<laughs> so pastor is fine, uh, but he had to, uh, you know, he deals with some medical issues, nothing serious, he's fine. But he told me about 10 minutes ago that I was doing the sermon. So anyone who knows him knows that we are to always be yeah, in, in, in liquid form. So this morning, we are going to talk about grace. Grace is unmerited. It's an unmerited divine assistance that's given to us, okay, for regeneration and for sanctification. I'll go back over this. It's a state of sanctification enjoyed through divine assistance. And I'll read that again, and then I'll break it down. Grace is an unmerited divine assistance given to humans for the regeneration or sanctification. It's a, it's a state of sanctification enjoyed through divine assistance. So we'll simplify that. Grace is a gift given to us that we're not worthy of. Okay. Why is grace given to us? It's for regeneration or sanctification. Regeneration of our spirit, regeneration of our mind, regeneration of our soul. That's what grace does for us. What does sanctification mean? Sanctified is when something is set aside for God's purpose. So God would have that each and every one of us receive his grace. Why? Because God would have each and every one of us to live a life that is worthy of him. That's what he wants for each and every one of us. Everyone in this room, everyone on this live stream, everyone on this planet, that's what he wants for us. Now, that doesn't mean that we are all going to receive it because we have to receive it. And that doesn't mean that we all believe in it, but it's there. So it would be similar to me giving Brother DJ a wrapped gift. I know what the gift is. I know the value of the gift. I know what the gift can do for him. But if he doesn't open it, he doesn't know what it is. And if he doesn't know what it is, then he doesn't know what the value of it is. He doesn't know what it can do for him and for his life. Okay? So grace is a gift that God has for each and every one of us. We've done nothing to deserve it. There's nothing that makes us worthy of it but the blood of Jesus. Okay? Because there's, there's a difference between being worthy of something and being deserving of something. Okay? We don't deserve the grace, but the blood of Jesus makes us worthy to receive it if we choose to. Okay? Does that make sense? We're all on the same page? All right. Let's roll with it. We're going to start with 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10 in the NIV. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10 in the NIV. And here we go. It says... Because of, these great surpassing, because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, 
My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. I'm going to stop right there. Let's go back to the top. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh to torment me. We all have something. And if you only have one thing, you're lucky and blessed. We all have, we all have at least one thing that is that thorn in our flesh. It's that one thing that trips us up. It's that one thing that gives us pause. It's that one thing that may even cause us sleepless nights if you allow it to. But what we can do is we can take that one thing and use it as the vehicle to keep us in prayer. Whatever that situation is, whatever that circumstance is, instead of focusing on what that problem is, use it as an engine to power your prayer life, okay? Because we all have something, because once we start walking around thinking that we are spotless and that we are blameless, that's when we get in trouble because now we are getting into conceit, we are getting into arrogance, narcissism, self-righteousness, okay? That is the first downfall. We always hear pride comes before the fall. That's when we start to get proud. So what we need to do is, when we have these thorns and we have these situations and we have these circumstances, we really should not honor them, but rejoice in them. Because it's those things that keep us humble. It's those things that keep us human. It's those things that keep us on our knees. It's those things that keep us tied in with the ear of God. It's those things that remind us that it's the blood of the lamb that makes us not deserving, but worthy. It's those things. So moving on, it says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And I like that he uses the word torment because we have certain things in our lives that, that I know that there are certain things about me that I get on my own nerves. <laughs> and I can't blame anybody else because I live by myself. And so there are some things that I know, I'm like, if somebody lived here with me, they would choke me out in my sleep. Because I know that I have certain behaviors that would drive other people crazy. And I have, I have a behavior that people would think is a good thing, but it can actually be a paralyzing thing. I am a neat freak. I'm the kind, I am the person that you could blindfold me and put me in my closet and I can put my hand on a shirt and tell you what that shirt is. I'm that person. All my canned goods, all three of them, because I'm a bachelor, I don't cook. All three of my, everything is facing forward in the cabinets. Everything is, everything in my house is color coordinated. If you ever come over my house uninvited, I won't let you in, but if you were to ever come over uninvited, I don't have to clean up for you. My house is immaculate. My garage is for cars. I don't have stuff. And so for me, that is something that sometimes it can, it, can be, it can be paralyzing. I'm the kind of person that if there's a dish in my sink, I can't go to sleep, okay? Some people would think, well, that's a great quality to have. He's, a, he's clean. But if I let it become a, part, a point where it's manic, then that's a thorn in my flesh, okay? If I let it come to a point where uh, it, it becomes a stumbling block for somebody else, because at the end of the day, is it really that important? 
But for me, if I'm not careful with that, it can become a thorn in my flesh. So sometimes, you know, we want to jump on the, 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 the three heavy hitters, you know, sex, drugs, and alcohol. There's, and and, and that's, that's where we're getting ourselves in trouble. Well, well I, you know, I'm not sexually immoral, and I don't do drugs, and I don't do alcohol. Well, congratulations. But you were doing a whole bunch of other stuff. <laughs> you know, backbiting, gossiping, overspending, overeating. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other things jealousy, covetedness. There's a whole bunch of other things that we do. And Satan can trip you up by having you think, well, I'm not that person. I'm not, well, I'm not as bad. That person smokes, you know, weed. I just have a cigarette habit. Sorry, smokers. All things are lawful, but they're not expedient. <laughs> it's not good for your body. It's not good for your body. So we have to be very careful. So, so this thorn was to keep him humble. Our thorns keep us humble. They should, if you're honest with yourself and you focus on them. So verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So God's grace is that gift. Okay? God's grace is the gift that is given to each and every one of us. But if we don't open it up and use it, then how can it be sufficient for us? It can't be sufficient if it's not being used, okay? So God, in all of his infinite power, wisdom, ability, and authority can only have the amount of space in our lives that we give him. Everything about this Christian walk is a choice. God has given each and every one of us choices. If he didn't give us a choice and, he, and we all just plopped down out of here saved and sanctified, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come down here. What, do we, what would we need the blood of the lamb for? What would, we need, what would we need the Holy Spirit for? What would we need a relationship with God for? We're already perfect. But it's the thorn, okay, that makes the grace sufficient. It's the thorn that makes us open up the gift from God and use it in our lives. So three times, three, and I'm sure some of you probably have things in your life, you've probably gone to God more than, more than three times and asked it to be removed. There are certain things that will be removed, but then there are certain things that may not be removed because God wants every one of us to be saved. He wants to see every one of our faces for eternity. And God has the intelligence to know that if I move that out of that person's life, I'm not going to see them again. I need to leave that in that person's life because that's what keeps them connected to me. I love them so much that I'm going to leave that inconvenience so they can continue to talk to me, continue to spend time with me, Continue to fellowship with me. 
continue to be an example for other people. The worst thing any leader of any church can do, and I see it all the time, you see all of these ministers that talk above their congregations, like they're so high and mighty and they're so nearer to God. And that's one of the things I love about our pastor. My dad is basically just a dude that is anointed to teach the gospel. And he doesn't hide that. He tells you about his shortcomings. He tells you about his failings. He tells you about his past. Why does he do that? Because he doesn't want you all to get the impression that he is inaccessible to you. He doesn't want to give you the impression that he's closer to God than you are. He doesn't want to give you the impression that God can't work through you because God worked through him. So sometimes the thorns that we have in our lives, they're twofold. They help us, but they also for those who stand around and who are watching. So as a side note, don't be afraid in your Christian walk, when you're ministering and when you're talking to people, don't talk like you're perfect because you're not. We have to let people know that a walk with God, you can't buy it. You can't sell anything for it. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be willing to receive his grace and to put it in action in your life. Because there are a lot of people in this room who probably didn't see themselves as they are sitting here today. But you saw a version of yourself that wasn't where you were at the time or someone else saw something in you and brought you in. That is what we do in our Christian walk. So not only are we in this Christian walk for ourselves, not only do we, do we accept the gift of grace for ourselves, but it's also so we can show others. You know what? Look at me. I'm not perfect. I don't have it all figured out, but I've received God's grace and he's working with me and he's working in me and he's working through me and he can do the same thing for you. That's what our Christian walk is about. So yes, sometimes you can go three times. Sometimes you can go 20 times. You can just wear your knees out. You might as well just quit. Just stop and go ahead and let God work in you and through you through whatever that is, that is your thorn. Because if you go to God three, four, five, or six times and he doesn't remove it, he's probably not going to remove it. I don't know of a lot of times where God changed his mind in the Bible. He's pretty much got this figured out. He, he knows us pretty well. But still, he still gives us choice. He gives us choice. Okay? So it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The best thing you can ever do is get to the end of your rope. You ever hear people say, that? I'm at the end of my rope. Good. Because now you'll let go of your rope and grab his. Okay? When you let go of your rope, of whatever that is, get to the end of that rope. Yes, get to the end of that rope. Grab his rope. Okay? His rope isn't frayed. His rope is strong. His rope is unfailing. So when you get to the end of your rope, grab his. He'll take care of you. He won't let you fall. Okay? He won't cut it like some people do. He won't cut your rope. All right? His rope is unfailing. His rope is perfect. His rope is strong. 
So when you get to the end of your rope, congratulations. Now you're ready to receive grace. So my advice to you today, get to the end of your rope. Because your rope ain't working. Get to the end of your rope. So he says, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power has always been perfect. God's power was perfect before we were even a twinkle in mommy and daddy's eye. His per, his, God's, God's, God's power and his strength has been perfect forever. But it's not perfect in our lives is what it's saying. His strength doesn't get perfected in our lives until we recognize it and we put it to work in our life, okay? It's like I said before, God is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's ever-present, but he's only as strong, it only takes up as much space in our lives as we allow him. So if you want him and his grace and his power to be perfected in you, because it says his strength is made perfect in weakness, the first thing that you need to realize is that you're weak. That's a wonderful thing. Admit that you're weak because you're not going to ask for help until you admit that. Pastor always tells us the, the strongest word everyone says is love. No, the strongest four-letter word is help. Because when you cry out help, now love will come. So once we realize that we are weak, that we are infallible, that we are human, that we are in the flesh, that we are imperfect, then the next step is turning our eyes to God and saying, okay, God, here I am, weak, worn out, tired, at the end of my rope. I'm turning it over to you now. Challenge him. There's scriptures in the Bible that says, taste and see. To challenge him. I guarantee you he's going to win. Don't be afraid to say, okay, God, here I am. What are you going to do? And then sit back and watch him work. But we have to make the first step. God is a gentleman. He doesn't come busting up into your life and throwing things and we're going to fix you. No, God gives you choices. God's not like Satan. Satan, is, Satan, Satan isn't a gentleman. He, Satan will come busting up in your life. He'll, through people, through situations, through circumstances, God doesn't work that, like that. He says, hey, I'm at the door. Knocking. Knobs on your side, bro. Let me in or not. It's a choice. It's a choice. So the first thing we have to do is acknowledge that we're weak. And that's fine because we all are. Any of you who say you're not, I'm sorry, you're lying. You may not have the same weakness that I have. Your house might look like a pit. But, you know, it, you know that may not, be, you know, may not be your thing. Or you might have uh, 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 drug issues or alcohol issues, relationship issues, self-esteem issues, whatever. There are so many things. But the first thing we have to do is acknowledge it. Okay. And then the next thing we have to do is turn our will and our way over to God. When we do that, we receive the gift of grace. Yes. Amen. And that's that grace that allows him to have the power in our life. All right, so, <clears throat> excuse me. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly 
about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So the more that we acknowledge our weaknesses to ourselves and maybe even to other people, the more we acknowledge how weak we are, the stronger Christ's power becomes in our life. The stronger, the more of space God takes up in our life. As we shrink, because we, as we admit that we are weak, we shrink, we decrease. The more we shrink and the more we decrease, the more he will increase. Think of your life as a, as a finite space. It can't get any bigger than this. Think of this as, as your life, okay? The problem with a lot of us is we're taking up all of the spaces in our life, and there's no room for God or anybody else, okay? So the more we shrink, get down here in this little corner and let God fill up all the rest of that. Because every area that you pull out of, okay, once you've received that gift of grace, God's gonna flood it with his power, with his might, okay, with his deliverance, okay, with his peace. Some people are allergic to peace. God will give it to you. There's this girl at work. I won't say her name. She's probably not watching, but I won't say her name anyway. She's one of these people. You guys know these people who just have to have chaos. She's addicted to chaos. And I told her, I said, you're one of those people that when you see light at the end of the tunnel, you go out and buy more tunnel. She's just one of those people. That is a thorn that she's got because she stirs up things for attention. She's one of those, any kind of attention is good attention. Good attention, bad attention, it's attention. That's the thorn that she has and that thorn because she needs that, she needs that attention. She needs that, that, that self-awareness on her. She needs all eyes to be on her. That's a thorn that she has in her flesh. She takes up so much space of her life and everyone else is at work if they allow her. Because the rest of the story is, let me go ahead and tell you the rest. The rest of the story is, I said that to her, and she went to my boss, and then uh, we had a, 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 an offline, which means we sat down, and they asked me what the problem was, and I told her that she, the, the whole train thing, and then I told her she needed to plead the blood of Jesus and find a church home. And then my boss told me that I couldn't say that, and I said, I just did. So that was the whole conversation. So anyway... But she's one of these people that, but she takes up so much space in her own life with all of her selfness, all of her junk, that there's no room for God. And, and, and I do, I, I, was, I was serious, but, you know, and I, and I, and I did go into prayer for her. And I, I, my prayer for her is that she does decrease in her life so God can increase. But that's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for all of you. All of us, I guarantee you, all of us are a little bit bigger in our lives than we need to be. All of us have areas that we need to shrink out of, okay, and let God flood those areas, okay? Because there's not room for both. You only got this much space, okay? There's not room for both. And if what you're doing is not working, try something different. Try it. I dare you. I dare you to pray for God's grace to flood your life. I pray for you. I, I challenge you to pray that you decrease so God can increase. I challenge you to do it and see what happens.
Because it says right here in the scriptures that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. God, our pastor tells us all the time two things God can't do. He cannot lie and he cannot fail. So if he says his strength is going to be made perfect in our weakness, it's going to be done. You can bank on it. It's going to be done. So it says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So what happens in Christ, your weakness actually becomes a strength. If you allow it to. If you allow that weakness to be your testimony, you allow that weakness to be your opportunity to talk about what God has done in your life, what God is doing in your life, and what God will do in your life, then your weakness becomes your strength. Because it's through your weakness that you're testifying. It's through your weakness that you're talking about God's goodness. You're talking about God's grace. It's through your weakness that you're allowing him to flood those areas of your life that you've pulled out of. Verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So it says that is why for Christ's sake, not for Christ's sake like you're doing him a favor, for Christ's sake in your life. For Christ's sake in my life, I'm happy about my weaknesses because it's, it's through the, my weaknesses are the door through which he walks in. That door that he says he's standing at and knocking, it's a door of weakness. Okay, it's the door. Hey, if, if, I, hey, if, I'm, if I'm getting a that's good from Sister Lynn, I know I'm on track. <laughs> but that door that he's standing and knocking on, that's a door of weakness. The knobs on the inside, people. He's not going to open up the door and walk in and step over your weaknesses. He's not going to do it. Opening that door on the inside is saying, is, is having a, being repentant, having a contrite heart, recognizing your weaknesses and saying, okay, God. I'm going to sit over here and let you do your thing in this corner way over here because I want you to have access to the whole house. That's what that door is. It's our weakness. And then once he cleans it up, now you can invite the neighbors over. And you can say, look at what God did for me through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. Moving on. I wouldn't have sang Days of Elijah so hard if I knew I was going to be doing the sermon. Uh, <laughs> James, James chapter 4. We're going to go to James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. This is in the Passion, so it's going to read a little differently than, than what you're using. James 4 and 6. It says, but he continues to pour out more and more grace upon us. For it says, God resists you when you are proud, but continually pours out grace when you are humble. Let's go back. But he continues to pour out more and more grace. He continues, continues, continues means 
It's unending. Okay? Continues means it doesn't stop. It doesn't turn off. He continues to pour more and more grace upon us. For it says God resists you when you are proud. So, when you're proud, stuck up, self-absorbed, whatever it is, humans don't want to deal with you. What makes you think God would want to deal with you? There is absolutely nothing or no one on this planet that can separate us from God but ourselves. No one on this planet has the power to separate you from God's grace but yourself. Too many times we get in our own way, okay? And God is going to take his hands off because there's only one steering wheel in the car. He's not going to trade off with you. Either he's driving it or you're driving it. If you are proud, boastful, he's going to resist you. That means he's not, he has nothing to say to you. You can get on your knees and pray for hours. And if you're doing it with a proud heart, he is not hearing you. He has nothing to do with you. When you get on your knees and you go to God in prayer, you have to do it with a contrite heart. That means that you have to do it with, sor- with a sorrowful heart. Truly sorry, truly aware of your fallings, your failings, your shortcomings, whatever they are. Truly open and asking him to take the lead. Okay? Too many of us in this road, we use God as our spare tire and not our steering wheel. So what we do is we're driving, we're driving this car with our own faults and prejudices and inabilities and shortcomings. And then when we end up off in a ditch somewhere, now we want to pull God out of the trunk. We would save ourselves so much time, money, therapy, all kinds of other things, just letting him drive it. Get in the back seat. Don't even sit in the the right seat, because this is God, this is Jesus. I'm in the back. I'm letting him just do it, okay? We would save ourselves so much time if we would just let God lead the way. Get out of the way. Get out of his way. Because this is not a shared experience. Okay? We can't do it on our own. We already know that. If we could do it on our own, we wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't wouldn't need grace. It's not a shared experience because he didn't ask our opinion. Because he's already got this figured out. God wants to take full and total control of each and every one of our lives. Why? Because he loves each and every one of us so much that he wants us to be successful. God would have that each and every living human being on this planet see his face one day. He knows not all of us are going to do it. Not all of us are going to make it. But he has set in place provisions for each, thank you, for each and every one of us to have grace to have a life of peace, to have a life of love, to have a life of success. He wants everyone to have that. But he's not going to force you to do it. It's a choice. It's a choice. Everything that we do is a choice. So 
It says he resists you when you're proud, but continually pours out grace when you're humble. He gives more and more grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to defy sin and to live an obedient life that reflects both our faith and our gratitude for our salvation. So this is saying here, God gives us grace through the Holy Spirit. Why? To defy sin, to live an obedient life, and for our life to reflect our faith and our gratitude for our salvation. He wants us to live a life that is sinless, blameless, okay? He wants us to be obedient. He wants us to have strong faith. And then it says gratitude. He wants us to be thankful to him for giving us the opportunity. He wants us to be thankful to him for sending his son. He wants us to be thankful for him, uh, to him for his son leaving and then leaving us with the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be thankful for him for the, the, the gift of grace. He's just like us. You give somebody a, an awesome gift and you're excited and you really, really want to give it to them and you just can't wait and it's Christmas morning and you've been planning this for months and you just got it and it's wrapped up and it's great and then they open it up and they go, oh, thanks. God is the same way. God is excited to give us stuff. He's got so much stuff that he wants to give each and every one of us. So many gifts. But he's not going to give them to you if you're not grateful. Why do you think you're any God's any different than we are? If he doesn't see that you have an attitude of gratitude, what's he going to give you something for? He's going to give that to somebody else. He wants us to be grateful. And how do we show our gratitude? By using the gift. If you give somebody a gift, even if they're excited when they first open it, and then you go over there six months later and it's still in the packaging and it's sitting in the corner, well, it doesn't make me want to give you another gift. God's the same way. He's got gifts. And each and every gift, it's just like on Christmas, your gift, it doesn't, it doesn't say to whomever opens this from Isaac. It doesn't, it, you know, it says, it says to Tanya from Isaac. Okay, to Sheila from Isaac, to Cozy from Isaac. Okay, to Heather from, it's, it's got your name on it. What God has for you is specifically for you. It's yours. And the reason why you know the gift is specifically for you, because we all have different thorns. Right? So his gift is tailor-made, okay? Don't you feel better when somebody gives you a gift and you're like, oh my God, you really know me. You were really paying attention. Wow. God doesn't give us generic gifts. The gifts that he gives us are specifically tailor-made to each and every one of us. It's that special. It's that special, which should make you even that more excited and grateful. It's like, oh my God, God with all, he's so busy. He's making the earth and the moon and the Saturn and the stars. Everything's floating around. Nothing's running into nothing in the days and the nights and all this stuff. And he paid attention to my needs. Wow. So I'm going to jump down in the voice. This is, voice, this is verse 7. We're still in James. Uh, this is verse 7. This is coming from the voice. It says, so submit yourselves to the one true God and fight against the devil and his schemes. If you do, he will run away in failure. 
submit yourselves to the one true God and fight against the devil and his schemes. You cannot fight the devil on your own. If you could, we would not be the hot messes that we are today. If you try to get out there and step out there with your own understanding and under your own steam and under your own willpower, you're not going to win. It's not going to happen. But if you submit yourself to the one true God, because any other God can't defeat Satan. You got to get the one true one. The one true God and fight against the devil. Now it says fight against the devil. We, once, we, once we submit ourselves to the one true God, now we're un operating under God's firepower. Okay? Under God's strength. Under God's power. Satan can't stand up against that. And he just runs away in failure. Some, uh, some versions say frustrated or in agony. You can't do anything to get, Satan out of your, to get Satan to run out of your life in agony. You're not strong enough. Got bad news for you. You can't do it. Don't try it. But under the power and the operation of the one true God through the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, the scriptures tell us Satan will flee. He will flee. So that's another challenge I have for you. Try it. I dare you to try it. You got something, somebody in your life that you need to get rid of? Tell you, plead the blood of Jesus. I'm talking about what I know. Watch him flee. In the message, verse 7. So let God work his will in you. What's God's will? That we all be successful, that we all be sanctified, that we all have eternal life. That's his will. So let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him make himself scarce. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Now, what I find interesting about this version of this scripture, it tells us to yell a loud no to the devil, but say a quiet yes to God. Satan is loud. Satan is rude. Satan is annoying. You have to meet him at his volume level. You can't be now, God, now Satan by the blood of Jesus. I just curse you. Jesus name. The way Satan comes at you, you got to come at him. But not under your own power and not under your own steam. You yell out and plead the blood of Jesus and you curse that person, that situation, that circumstance. And that person, that situation or that circumstance cannot help but flee. Has to. But the good thing about God is you can go in your secret closet, just be still, and just call him in. You don't need fanfare. You don't need to jump and shout. Just ask him to come in. Ask him to come in. It's very simple. It's called repenting. Repenting is very simple. You acknowledge your sins and your weaknesses. You say you're sorry for them. You ask God to come into your life and flood those spaces. That's all you got to do. When you look through the Bible, and especially when Jesus is talking, you ever notice that Jesus was very simple? He never, it was never this big flowery words. He used parables because he's like, okay, I need to make this so simple for you guys to get it because it's that important that everybody get it. Everything that God gives us, everything that God brings to us, it's, it's just simple. It's very simple. 
We make it complicated. We make it hard because we are so caught up in our weaknesses and our failings and our shortcomings. Oh my God, I'm the only person on the planet in the history of the world that's ever done this. And God, there's no way God can help me. Calm down, you're not that special. You're not. There's nothing that you've done that hasn't been done before. God's got it figured out. Get out of your own head and let him work his work. All right? Verse 8 says, move your heart closer and closer to God, and he will come even closer to you. But make sure you cleanse your life, you sinners, and keep your heart pure and stop doubting. The thing that came to me when I was glancing over this really quickly is it says move your heart closer and closer to God. It doesn't say move your heart close to God. It's continuous. It's a process. You don't just repent and you, re and you receive uh, uh, God in your life and that's it. It's a process. You think Satan's going to leave you alone just because you decided you're a Christian? No. Now he's coming at you harder because he's mad at you. It's a process from the time you are born or to the time that you understand this to the time that you die physically. You're working. You're moving closer to him. You're moving closer to him. You're moving closer to him. And the good thing is he's moving closer to you. He's moving closer to you. He's moving closer to you. Don't get tripped up looking over here Oh, this person's so much further along than me. Oh my God. No, 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 Like we always say, stay in your lane. Because as long as God sees progress, he's just as happy for you as he is for Joe, who's way down there. It doesn't matter if your spiritual life goes from zero to 100 in six months. God loves that. He's happy about that. But this other person that's working just as hard, and they're at zero to 15, he's happy. He sees progress. Okay? Don't deny your gift because you're over here looking at what Bobby got. Focus on your gift. Your gift has your name on it. That's yours. It's a process. Keep working. How do we keep working? Studying that Bible. Not reading the Bible. Studying the Bible. Digging in there. Doing your devotionals. Coming to church. Fellowshipping with your brothers and sisters, strong prayer life, praying with the, through the scripture, all of those things. Keep moving closer to him and he'll move closer to you. But make sure you make sure your life and make sure but but make sure you cleanse your life. There we go. That's the process. And keep your heart pure and stop doubting. It says and stop doubting. Don't doubt God. Go ahead and doubt yourself. You can doubt yourself because you already know, we already know we've messed stuff up, okay? Go ahead and doubt that you can't handle it, okay? But don't doubt God. Don't doubt God. Don't, don't, get, don't doubt what he's promised you. Don't doubt what he's waiting and excited to give you. Don't doubt it. Bank on it and use it. Don't have any doubt in it because it's unfailing. It's unwavering. It's all-powerful. It's everlasting. It's proven. We don't have any proof that what you're doing is working. But we know what God does works. If you were going to the, if you were playing in the Super Bowl and they said, okay, 
Sean, you want to play on this team or you want to play on this team? Now, this team's going to lose. I'm just telling you now. This team's going to win. Which team you want to play on? Yeah. Unless you're an idiot, you're going to play on this team. God doesn't lose. Read the book. We win. We win. Be on the winning team. I'm going to jump to the end here. Don't yell at me, Pastor, if he's watching at home. Verse 10 here in the Amplified. Yes, verse 10 in the Amplified. Uh, no, I'm going to go back to verse 9. Verse 9. It says, this is the, uh, now this is still the message. Then we'll jump to the Amplified. This is verse 9 from the message, 9 and 10 from the message. It says, the fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. It's not talking about being physically on your feet. There are a lot of people who are walking around strong and healthy and vibrant looking, but spiritually they're crawling in mud. Mentally, psychologically, they're a mess. You want to get on your feet spiritually, mentally, psychologically, in all areas of financially? Get on your knees. And he'll lift you to your feet every time. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. Coming from the Amplified, verse 10, I'll wrap this up. And here we go. This is the key. Humble yourselves with an attitude of repentance and insignificance in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. All right? So the first step is with us. God's waiting. Remember that door? He's out there. He's waiting. The first thing we have to do is humble ourselves. How do we humble ourselves? We come to the realization that we have weaknesses. That what we're doing ain't working. And we need to turn it over to somebody else. Even in, even in AA, one of the steps is we've come to the conclusion that we are powerless over our addiction and we need something stronger than us to restore us to sanity. AA uses it and they believe it and we're Christians. It's right here. The Bible's been around a lot longer than AA. They've got it down. So the first way to get on our feet is to get on our knees. Repent. Know that you don't have it figured out. Know that you've screwed it up. Don't get hung up in that. You can't undo it. But what are we going to do from this point forward? That's what determines whether or not we see eternal life or not. So it says, humble yourselves with an attitude of repentance, which means you're saying you're sorry for your sins. Okay, and insignificance in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't let, any, don't let anybody else exalt you. And please don't exalt yourself. You let God exalt you. Because when God puts you somewhere, there ain't nothing that can take you off of it. So, in closing, grace is something we are not deserving of, but the blood of Jesus makes us worthy of it. Musicians, you can come on up. Grace is something that you can't buy to get, you can't barter to get, 
You can't trade to get it. There's only one way you can get it, and that's simply by asking for it. Please stand.